From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 125, and today I'm joined by Viviano Caldinelli. I think I pronounced his last name properly. He's a TV director known for the Bruno and Boots movies, Odd Squad, as well as a lot of This Hour Has 22 Minutes. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch The Shawshank Redemption. I'm Jeremy. I've seen this film quite a few times, but not for a long time. I'm Viviano Caldinelli, and I have never seen this movie before. So how did you get around to not seeing this movie? I guess that's not the right way to phrase that question, but how is it you've never seen this? Um, I don't quite know. I remember the year it came out. It was the same year as like Goodfellas and Dances with Wolves and it, stuff. Is that a, correct? No, it wasn't Goodfellas. The Goodfellas year. It was... Um, it was was it Dance with Wolves. It was Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, okay, Toy Story. Like it was a monster year for movies. In yeah, a, in a weird way. I think out of all of them, though, it was kind of the dark horse, and it wasn't as kind of yeah, it's uh, weird. It wasn't as big when it came out. I think like out of all of them, it was like the lowest. It, I think it was not definitely the most tiered, but I think Shawshank in that year. When you look at those other movies, uh, and, and you know, twenty five years later, isn't it crazy? That's twenty five years later. Yes. Uh, when you look at it, that, oh my god, that makes me feel super old really quick. Uh, you you kind of go that it was the dark horse and that Frank Darabont hadn't really established himself as a director. Uh-huh. In fact, without spoiling anything, uh, he had optioned the material from Stephen King. Do you know it's based on Stephen King? Yes. Okay, good. Not ruining that. Oh, wait. Are we, you sure? Hundred percent sure. I thought it was was Green. I thought Green Mile was both in, are. Oh, they both they are. Both are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were like you know, somewhat. Well, they just take place in a jail, and it's a period yeah, yeah, yeah. Piece, they're both, yeah, they're both Stephen King books that come out of a jail. Yeah, uh, they both are. But so uh, Darabont had optioned the book rights from Stephen King, and then had adapted the script himself. And I guess Rob Reiner got a hold of the script somehow. And offered Darabont $2.5 million if he could buy the script from him and direct it himself. And Darabont had to have that crisis of faith where he's like, the script's really good. This could be the thing that launches me as a director, but I could also just walk away with $2.5 million and let Rob Reiner make a film. And Rob Reiner's pretty good. He is. He definitely is. Uh, and he had made Misery already, so he was already in the versed in the, in the King yep, world. Yeah, definitely. So, but that's that's a tough fucking choice, man, to walk away from 2.5. And that was, 20, that was 2.5 25 years ago. Yeah. I wonder, though. I wonder, because it was still up against so many formidable films, like big films. But this is before it was made, right? He's, he just has oh, a script. Yes. But I'm just, I, I'm just saying, like, if it was still under the same circumstances, but Reiner did it, I oh, he wonder... Oh, he made, in, in retrospect, of course he made the right call. Yeah. Because it launched his career as a filmmaker. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, but I think it's also the kind of thing where 
you can probably take stock and go, Rob Reiner's offered me $2.5 million. This thing is yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I, I, I'm better off to not take it because this thing's got legs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he definitely, he, uh, as we were talking about poker before, showed his hand. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> so, so you never, so this is just, so for some reason you just never, you got it never, did you want to see this movie? Yep, and it absolutely. just never happened. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't, wasn't as if I was avoiding it or something. I think w- when it came out, I saw all of those movies that were out, and it was like one of those things. It was kind of the last on the list of that, and I'm like, oh, I'll eventually see it. I'll eventually yeah. see it, and then it just never happened. It just never happened, and then I think there was times, but it just like it's a long movie, is it not? It's like two and two twenty. It's yeah. not super. Yeah, yeah, that that but plays a factor. Substantial, like like so. Yeah, but I, I was surprised because I, I checked that out this afternoon, and I was like, oh, two twenty. Because I will say this. I've never noticed the length because this is the kind of movie for me. It just flows. Oh, that's awesome! That's so good to know. it doesn't. So that was shocked me when I saw that it was two two twenty. Yeah, and it just always like it was like oh, I'll see it later. I'll see it. it's not going anywhere. It was never like this. You have to see this movie. It was just always like I just knew it was going to be good, and it'll always be there. Yeah, it's not watch. going. So the, yeah, I was just saving saving it for you know a rainy day. Yeah, and, and here we are. Um, yeah, and then well, when you asked, I was super I was excited because I honestly thought that the only way I would watch this film on the podcast is with like a twenty-year-old actor who just <laughs> was like a baby when it came out and never saw it. So I was super excited that like a peer of mine of my age, director, had somehow slipped through the cracks. So I was so pumped that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, there's a few like big ones. I like I have, I've never seen Gone with the Wind. Um, as I was going through a list of stuff and. Other ones that aren't yeah. as significant, but, you know, still, it should have been, like, mandatory viewing of sorts. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what um, films have been inspired by this that I don't know. References. Oh, that's true, yeah. There'll things. be some that's, Simpsons, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, and it's funny that you mentioned Goodfellas. This doesn't spoil anything either, and I can explain why later, but it's like, apparently, Frank Darabont watched Goodfellas every Sunday oh, really? while making this film, because it was a huge inspiration for him. Oh, my God. Well, it's one of the... It's it's the best mom movie of all time, and it's, if not, maybe one of the best movies of all time. Um, yeah. Nothing, nothing tops it. So while you're watching it, you can think about that, and we can we can talk about why that would have been that he, or if there, if you feel like there's any things like oh yeah, this is kind of a Goodfellas thing. So it was like yeah, so it was like a year or two before or after. Well, Goodfellas is what ninety one. Uh, I'm not sure. I think so, but yeah, around that era, like these are all around the same. It's all around the same same era, yeah. But it's like the, the good the Goodfellas is definitely nineties. Yeah, I feel and, like and early at that. Um, uh, so it wouldn't have been out that long. So it would have been like Darabont would have seen good. Seen Goodfellas and it would have been 1990. It is 1990. Yeah, Dances with Wolves and um, and Goodfellas was the same year, I believe. Because I remember yeah. Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas. Yep, and and this is after that because this is when um, the reason I know that is because uh, Kevin Costner was interested in doing this movie as well. Oh, really? Uh, but he was working on Waterworld at the time. Hmm. Have you seen Waterworld lately? Oh no. I wonder how it holds up now. I'm curious because it was wasn't well, it one of those movies at the time that people like shat on a little bit, but also had a, like, a cult following. Uh, I I, w- I wouldn't say a little bit. I I thought I, I think people it was shat on a lot. Right? Yeah, big time, big yeah. time. Does it play like a big joke now? I don't know. I don't know if it's gotten better re- with age. I would love know? to. Re- yeah, maybe one of those ones where you watch now, and you're like, huh, that 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 was just ahead of its time. Because there's other movies like of scope, not as kind of. Um, 
not as kind of mainstream, but Sorcerer um, is kind of like another one where it was like this massive film. Sorcerer. Oh my God, it's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, I just remember the water world. I remember him like drinking his own pee. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis Hopper's the villain, right? Yeah. 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 I remember and, and, everybody, and he has gills, I believe. Not Dennis Hopper, but Kevin uh, uh, Yeah, he, he can, he can Kevin swim underwater for a yeah. long time. Um, but yeah, I, I like yeah, Sorcerer's one, and I can't remember what, like, or even like The Thing, where it's just like when it came out, it was panned. Uh, I don't necessarily think this was ahead of its time, but I think maybe, we'll see. I don't know. I might watch it the next couple of weeks and see. I've got a bit of a backlog, but uh, oh. I'm going to check it out. And um, yeah, revisit Waterworld. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So should we just dive into this guy? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished, and wow, yeah, that was that was pretty that was pretty awesome, man. Yeah, yeah that right. was beautiful. That's why when you're like, oh, it's one of those movies, there's no emergency to see. I was, I had to bite my tongue because I'm like, I don't know. Like, this is one of those ones where it's like, whenever, I was young when it came out and I saw it, uh, I think when it just came out on home video. But I remember even though I was, I was a big Stephen King fan because my grandma, from like the earliest age I can remember, used to buy me his books every year for Christmas. And that's what I got from my grandma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, wildly inappropriate books. Yeah. Uh, and, and she had no idea what kind of books he wrote. She just knew he was a very popular author and that someone told her her grandson would probably like them. Oh, really? Like nothing at all? She must have known no, just by... No, had no idea. It's even like, the pictures and the font? Like, even the font is a little... You'd think so you on know. some books, but some. But the nice thing about this one was that it was like a short... It, this one was one of the short stories. I see. Yeah. So it was part of the collections. Uh, and um, And so I had read the short story already... And so when it came out, I wanted to see it. And so I saw this probably when I was 14, 15, and it stuck with me. And it was so it's one of it's, it's just a very seminal movie for me. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, to be honest, I'm not disappointed I didn't see it earlier. I don't think. Um, <laughs> I, There's no bad time to watch this movie no, for the first time. No. And the only downside of seeing it so late is that there were so many iconic shots. And moments that I know just through, you know, seeing it in pop culture and references and stuff. And so, like you what know, what kind of stuff jumped out at you? I'm curious. Uh, well, like, for instance, when uh, William Sadler gave him the rope, I knew there's no way he hung himself, at least not yet, because there hasn't been that shot of him shirtless in the rain looking right, up to right, the thing. Right. So I was like, well, that still has to happen. So you knew there was an escape. Uh, well, actually, I didn't know if there's necessarily going to be an escape. That is an iconic shot, though. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, so I knew that moment, wherever and however that was... Uh, going to land. Yeah, whatever the context of it was. Uh, I knew at some point it was going to come. So that was it, as far as, you know, the only spoiler. But it is one of the most even-keeled movies I've ever seen. Right. And even... Uh, even it's strange, because even at some points where... You know, there's <laughs> there's brutal rape and beatings and murder and and everything, and never seems but it's to all spike. Just so calm, yeah. It never spikes. It never. It's never jolting. It's just this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, like it's a, hard to explain. But no, it, no, it's not. And I think that's what I love about it so much is that even though it's like you know it's almost two and a half hours long, I just feel like it, it creates this 
such a lull. Not a lull in a bad word that sounds negative, but it's just like it puts a spell under you. Mm-hmm. Or it does me, and I never get bored. I find it's just like I just drift along with it. And I feel like it's this weird kind of fairy tale in a way. You know? And, and But what's really nice about, and I think what Frank Darabont captured really magically is this sense of, like, what it must be like to just be stuck in prison that long. And the idea of, like, years just drift away. Oh, And yeah. time just goes away. Imagine. And these things, and, and like you said, it's like these brutal things are happening all the time and terrible things, but then, then life goes on. Yeah, it's... Um, he spent a month in a hole. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's such a true happy ending. And beautiful ending. Yeah, he gets it's, away. It's kind of a feel-good movie at the end. It really is. But you know, it, it reinforces hope, and um, I guess that's the theme, is never lose hope. And, well, is he get busy I, 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 living? One of, uh, yeah, yeah, get busy living. And, and um, yeah. It's, especially it, once you find out that he is innocent. Like, what a great gut punch that is. Did you f- think that he was innocent? Yeah, I, n- I d- it never entered my mind that he was guilty. Great. Um, from the get-go. And I don't know if that's because, it, you know, people say, what's an innocent man? He's been in jail. Like, when people were kind of summarizing the film, you know, throughout the last yeah, 20 yeah, years, yeah. that might have spilt out and it's in my conscience. And so I know that. But no, I never I never felt that uh, he was guilty. I think the first time I saw it, uh, it was one of those moments where I was like, it was a nice confirmation. I think watching it even as a kid, I was, I was hoping that he was innocent. Yeah. Uh, but I also like the running gag that it's like, we're all innocent in here. Didn't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And the other thing, too, is just for the character, I think it'd be a little much. Even even if it was in the heat of, you know, passion and stuff and it wasn't premeditated, the murder, murdering his wife and her lover, it still would be, it'd be a bit to come back from. Yeah. And then just, you know, I, I don't think the ending would have been quite as earned, obviously. No, obviously. But, but uh but then, you know, like he said, he said he uh, he was an innocent man on the outside. He had to come to prison to become a criminal. Yeah, that's a great line. There's a lot of great lines. So many. N- not as many as I thought that would um, that I would know. Like, there were so many awesome lines, but they were all new to me, is what yeah. I'm saying. I, I don't feel that there was a lot of lines that I heard in reference or anything in other shows or pop culture or, or I remember or what there was, like, you. me and, like, my, my brother-in-law, who was just dating my sister at the time, and a couple of friends, like, we watched this movie when we were young, we loved it. And a lot of, like, the swearing terms we stole, like, shit in the wind. Yeah. And a lot of, like, those things that, like, the warden says or Clancy Brown says as the as the sociopath guard... We took a lot of those phrases and made them our own. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great movie. Wow, but also too, it's just like now I don't have to see it for another twenty years. You yeah, know? you kind of get everything you need out of it. It'd be a nice Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon if it's it, on. Like, uh, yeah, whatever, and you know, you're flipping channels in the winter, and um, whatever, whatever time you come into it, you just it's like, perfect. Yeah, you can just yeah. flow along with it and be fine. I know it's the kind of movie where it's it's like I think. I haven't watched it probably in, I don't know, 10 years or so, but I watched it quite a bit when it first came out. I really loved it. And it's the kind of movie that I could probably even show my son now. Yeah, he's absolutely. 10. He's 10. There's nothing in there that's crazy. No, no, it's not graphic and it's not... Uh... They just kind of allude to how many times he's raped. <laughs> <laughs> and you but know even what? still, as a kid, you don't really I think quite as a, know. As, like... as a kid, I think I told myself that he always fought them off. But watching it this time, I was like, no. Yeah. He, he took it a few times. 
Oh, no, he was severely raped many, many, <laughs> many times. As a kid, I convinced myself he wasn't. I remember as a kid, I think I remembered that they tried to rape him once, and then he had that great moment where he says, anything you put in my mouth, yeah, you're going to lose. Yeah, the ice pick there. But now it's like, no, that was after years of, of rape. Well, and yeah, who knows how many. Countless. And all of them. Yeah, and it's weird, too, how it, uh, you know, you you kind of feel, not compassionate, but you like the prison guard and the warden at some point. Well, because, it's, you know, but it's and, great because then does that turn because as soon as he becomes useful to them, yeah. they protect him, they mm-hmm. give him all these things, but the other side to that is they're never going to let him go. No, absolutely not. So that's the trade-off he gets. Like he gets to help all these people, he gets to build a prison library, but you're never going to be away from, we're never going to let you go. And you got to imagine, too, that even if it got to the point where the warden was about to retire and Andy was an old man in prison, he would have ended up with a bullet in his back. Yeah, absolutely. Has there ever been a movie or a, a series or anything where, where the warden was a, like a nice person? I think in uh, Orange is the, the New Black, the warden, that guy, Joe, the guy with the handlebar mustache, he's a pretty decent guy. Was he? I, I only I remember watching the Caputo? first couple seasons. No, Caputo, yeah, Caputo. Is he the warden or is he a yeah. prison guard? I can't no, remember. he's the warden. He's okay. not. He, he's not the warden from the get go. He become. He's like the assistant warden and then becomes the warden. But he's a decent guy. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But it is a trope. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, he he was out of all the shitty wardens. You know, I think like him and, and Donald Sutherland in Lockup are the two worst. I've I never seen Lockup. Oh, Lockup is hilarious. It's. Uh, it's around, it's a bit earlier, it's probably like 88, uh, 87, 88, it's Stallone and Donald Sutherland, Stallone gets thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and um, yeah, and then he's just at odds with the warden who's Donald Sutherland, and um, it's very Stallone-esque. Um, what you would imagine, you know, happens and all the kind of Stallone movies and all those idiot things yeah yeah but it's it's fun it's a good it's a, it's, it's a good time it's a good uh, we should do this again we can watch Lock <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can imagine now watching it again thinking about how uh, how Darabont watched Goodfellas every Sunday while he was making this because I think the reason why he did it was uh, you know it's also another movie that's heavily narrated and also, um, you know, takes place over a number of years and tells all these little side stories. And, and, and Goodfellas kind of has a, a bit of a trance flow to it, too, right? Absolutely. But also, it, I think it's... More it, cocaine. Yeah, it, towards the end. But also, I think it's just like these hardened criminals and the camaraderie between them and the banter. That's very evident. Like, you know, it really humanizes criminals. And, and you know, and, the, you know, like in Goodfellas, they all kind of have a very good sense of humor and this kind of weird sense of like joie de vivre of sorts like whatever the circumstances are um so like yeah they kind of made the best of it in jail and um yeah and i think so that really kind of came out and that's more i guess in the script um as opposed to but he wrote the, the script shoes. oh so yeah he did write, okay so there you go so yeah i feel like you know that's probably the biggest parallel is just the kind of the banter and Humanizing these criminals and and you know the the fun banter between them and the camaraderie uh, is definitely the parallel for me. 
Yeah. Um, the tones, are, like, there's definitely a, lot, a bit more energy to Goodfellas. Oh, absolutely. But also the score adds to that as well. Yeah, and the soundtrack. The soundtrack. Uh, yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, no, they, they, they do feel similar, of kind of similar, like, worlds. Yeah, you, like, can, I you can, can see, see this, the companion piece. Yeah, like in the 60s, you know. Um, That'd be a great double bill. It would be. You play this first and then play Goodfellas, absolutely. Um, yeah, they do. They do feel somewhat similar in in tone, and um, also in like scope of time, because it's definitely. Um, I don't know what Goodfellas is. Is a good twenty years at least. Well, it starts when he's a kid, right? Yeah, technically. So it's probably around the same scope of time. Yeah, close 20, to years. twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Now Darabont's like man. Yeah, he's pretty prolific. You know, I think he wrote the Blob as well, the remake. Um, you know, doing and that wasn't too, like you know, um, that was only like a few years before this. Yeah, I think the Blob remake was eighty eight, which is like one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, this is definitely his. Uh, what was his filmography? This is definitely his breakthrough, though. But you can you can understand that conflict he must have had about that script. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But also knowing, but also just you know believing in himself. Knowing kind of what he had in his hands, and that, uh, and 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 knowing that this is his shot to make a mark. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely a lot of confidence in himself and in the script, and exactly, I do think Rob Reiner showed his hand. If you want something that badly, don't hand it over. No, no, absolutely, you have something, and. Um, and then yes, and he also show ran Walking Dead the first season, right? And that well, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. spent the last ten years of his life just trying to sue that sue AMC to try to get all the royalties he's owed. Yeah, uh, but the, it, the first season was pretty. Ugh. I like. Yeah, I, I actually really haven't watched it since like the. first He, season. he also wrote Nightmare on Elm Street three Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors, oh nice. Okay, that's his first credit. So that that definitely that's definitely uh, his and the Fly too. Oh, he wrote The Fly, too? Yep. Wow. And then he was a staff writer on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. <laughs> and then Night Shift, and then... Uh, Night Shift, like, like the Michael Keaton, and yep. uh, and who else was in that? Um, Michael Keaton, and uh, not Henry Winkler, is it? He directed Night Shift as well. Oh, wow. And it came out the same year, so that it's only 58 minutes. Is that a TV movie? Night Shift Collection. Oh, Night Shift. Oh, oh you mean Never that's, mind. Th- that's the Stephen King. Yeah, and that's how he gets oh, to know King. Okay. I thought you meant the Night Shift. Like That was like the mid-80s. Like, yeah, I think it's Henry Winkler and, uh, and, and Michael Keaton, like young Michael Keaton. But he doesn't have... Uh, yeah, I forget how few credits he has as a director. It's not much. It's like... No. It's no. this, Green Mile, the, Mist. the Majestic, The Mist, and that's it. The Mist is really underrated. And then The Walking Dead and some TV. He did, he did an episode of The Shield. Yeah, he just kind of did his thing. Yeah. But it's interesting. He's kind of... Uh, well, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't kind of settle into this type of, you know... Because after this, he really could have chose his shots for a while. Yeah, but I guess he probably made enough, and then he just really just wanted to focus on the stuff. But it's funny. It's like, this is the prison thing. Green Mile is a prison thing. Even though he didn't get to it in his storyline... You know, the, the Walking Dead has a stint that takes place at a prison. Yeah, that was in, like, with, like I think the third season. Yeah, third season. I did season. actually watch it up until, like, the third th- a bit. Like, I will say, you know, having stuck with The Walking Dead, uh, I feel like he 
would have made a vi- it would be a, if he stuck around and he was still running it, it'd be a very different show. Yeah, how how so do you feel? I just think his tone, like you look at something like this, and it's like, and you could get excited going, oh, watching this guy's version of The Walking Dead could be really interesting. They'd see a zombie show yeah. by them, like, all right, but just want, but knowing that it's like how much they also just want it to be this genre type show that plays off of, you know, twists and turns and cliffhangers. Yeah, it was a bit soap opery, pulpy type of like. Yeah, it turned into it's. It's finally turned around. I think where it's at right now is is pretty good. But there was that season <coughs> where it was just pulling all these like left turns and trying to just misdirects and trying to fuck with the audience too much. Yeah, there were some laughable like villains, I think, and and uh, antagonists and stuff like. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a popcorn kernel in my throat. Um, the governor, I remember the governor was laughable. I really had a laugh at him. I, I did not think he was scary at all, any way, shape, or form. No, sure, but, sure, his actual deeds were. But no, uh, did you ever read the books? No, I've been dying to. Much uh, scarier in the books. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I flipped through it. Um, I was gonna buy like the big volume at one point. I remember I was on a like a trip or something, and I was well. Now it's not. They just finished the books. Oh, it's done, done. They it, it literally, uh, as of this recording, at the time of recording, this is, uh, this is like mid-July, it was the most amazing way they did it. I won't say, I'm not going to give any spoilers, mm-hmm. obviously, but what he did was he uh, basically just, the day before the last issue came out, he's like, he put a press release out going, by the way, tomorrow's the last issue of The Walking Dead. And everyone was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it was issue 193, because he had always kind of talked about how oh, he was going to try I, to get to 300. I read He's this. always said they did 300 in his mind. And so this came out of nowhere. And his rationale was like, he's like, look, it's like, as someone who enjoys content and stuff, it's like, and as someone who creates content, I'm always aware of when a story is wrapping up and, and when I think I know we're in the final stages. And what I never wanted for this this story was for people to be counting down to the end. I wanted the ending of the story to be as shocking as any of the major character deaths. Uh, and to that point, I was actually disappointed that well the press done. release came out the day before. Like, how amazing would that have been to pick up your your monthly copy and then it's just done? Yeah, I kind of wish he would have waited until like the next day. I two did, days later. I now, yeah, I, that was like a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, it was. It was very recent. Yeah, I remember reading something. I, I didn't know if it was the show or no, if it no, was the show's the going to go on forever. Yeah, because I remember people were freaking out, like they're just throwing this at us now and stuff. And I didn't know the show, and I, since I didn't watch the show, I was just meh. Well, I will say the way he wraps the storyline up in the comics is perfect. Oh, good. It's, it, he did a really good job, and so now you can pick up. Uh, any iteration because he, he, they published it in like the the weekly trades and then like the every six months they put out like a trade of six six issues but they also have the commendums which I think there'll be four full ones that are like 50 issues each or 49 issues each or something yeah I might pick up a digital copy I like reading it on the iPad and stuff yeah just uh, buy the it's a little bit more portable I'm sure you could buy the whole set yeah. for a decent chunk yeah so I'm sure once uh because this, the one thing that I was always impressed with with Walking Dead in, the, in terms of the trades, the like the five, the six issue collections, was that usually you'd have to wait like five or six months after the single issue came out for them to put out the trade. Yeah. Where Walking Dead was always like the month after the last issue drops, the trade's out. Okay. So there, are, so then the the last trade uh, for the series, and that's one I've been collecting, comes out in August. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I will get, uh, yeah, I think it's, like, 
absolutely mandatory reading. I think it's really fascinating. I can't wait until my son's a little bit older. Um, cause I think, although he could actually probably watch the TV show because it is definitely, it's not, you know, super friendly or anything like that, but the, the, you know, the, 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 the book doesn't pull any punches at all. Uh-huh. It's, it's really brutal and graphic and the language is not over the top. It's justified, but it's just, it's not something for a 10 year old Yeah, where I think, you know, they, they've televised the show version enough that it's like, I think he could probably watch it. He watches mm. Stranger Things. I think it's oh, yeah? on a, a similar bent. Yeah. Oh, but I also a little wanna, safer, but... But probably wants to wait until he can read the books and then watch the show so he can appreciate... Because what, what I do... like, I kind of hate watch the show because what I do like about it is the way they've remixed it. Like, they, don't, they, follow, they follow all of, like, the major touch points that the book does, but they always do it in their own way. Like, they, they'll kill different characters off they'll give what this character that character storyline okay so it's always a remixed version of the comic so that the way the fans are never yeah. are always on their toes as well yep that makes sense yeah that makes sense you have to kind of diversify but I'd love for own. him to know the source material going into it Game I think it just makes it a bit richer and more interesting um, so Stranger Things you've been watching or is it we're halfway through the new season okay so we, we're slowly I haven't seen it since it. the I watched the first season and uh, I watched a bit of the second like the first episode maybe and that was it and didn't grab me at that point I just felt like it's just I, I should give it a shot I guess I, yeah. I, I do want to watch the third season but I feel like I have to watch the second season ah uh. I mean, if you uh, there's enough stuff that happens in the second season that I think it's worth uh, a worst case go on YouTube and find someone that's done a supercut of like that's a, true yeah a, a synopsis of like where are you up to now? Well, it's only eight episodes, right? So yeah, eight yeah that's, that's not a bad. But thing. you could also just if you click on season three on Netflix, it'll give you a recap. Okay, well we'll, we'll see. See, but I love. I, I mean, it, it, it brings us back around to Stephen King anyway because he, you know, the the Duffer Brothers kind of saw that as like. Uh, Steven Spielberg meets Stephen King, like their their homages for that show. Yes, right. And so there's something that I love that that show just for me is like pure nostalgia. It is definitely steeped uh, in nostalgia. It's steeped in nostalgia. That, that's the whole charm to it. But also, it's like one of those shows that my son and I get up early in the morning and we'll watch an episode before he goes to school or before he goes to camp or whatever. And you don't feel like it's a little much? No, he loves nostalgia? it. No, 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 no. I mean, oh, like you. Nostalgia. Is, oh, like, do they go too heavy into the nostalgia? I mean, I think they've gotten away from it a little bit because, like, the first season is just, like, you can just go through and check off the storyboard shots they're doing. It's like, that's E.T. Yeah. That's this, that's that. I think now they're doing other interesting thing with the 80s, like, this without ruining anything... They're, I know it's soundtrack some, heavy indefinitely. Like, yeah, like, but they're also into like some Cold War stuff now. Oh, what, like so Russia and like, yeah, so they're yeah. playing into some of that with the which is like a big '80s thing as oh, well. Oh, it was a fear. I, like as a kid, I was like you know I was very very young, but enough you know that I you remember it. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and know that like I was scared that Russia would just come and invade and stuff. Although that was a real fear as a kid, um, and there would be a nuclear war or you know yeah. Uh, so that that's great. They touched on that. Yeah, well, they're just starting that now. Like they're into that era. Yeah, I just I, when it panders a little too much, like the whole nostalgia thing. It it, it is a little much lately. Um, did you ever read Ready Player One? Oh yeah, yeah. I read Ready Player One in one sitting. Yeah, it was a quick read, but it was a pretty, even though it's dense, it's a super quick read. Yeah, I, the, the, it was a pretty large font as well. I found for a book. Yeah, but. Um, 
that that was really force fed. I found like all the nostalgia stuff and the music and everything. Whereas as the, the movie, it was way more palatable for me. I really liked the movie. Yeah, me too. It was yeah, funny, and I too. watched the movie first, and because I think everyone that that watched it, read it first, and then watched it had issues with the movie. But it's like. I, I really enjoyed the movie, and then I read the book, and I'm like, I understand the changes they made, but also like reading that book, I'm like, yeah, like that's kind of you couldn't tell that story that way and make it work. Yeah, like I thought the adaptation did a really smart job and kept it engaging, and yeah, I thought they did a good job. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I, yeah, that's one of the few uh, movies where I, like were booked movie adaptation. I, I like the movie better. Than the book, yeah, certainly. And this one's what's really great about um, the Shaw. So Shawshank, the original title is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Is the title of the short story, <laughs> uh, and Darabont kept that for a bit while he was starting up, but he kept on getting apparently like audition tapes or letters from actresses wanting to play Rita Hayworth. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, not <laughs> you know, they obviously had no idea what the movie was about or the story was about. And having to just, but also I think it would have tipped. Oh it might have gosh, tipped the hat a bit too a, much. A horrible title for this film. I think it w- it would have immediately stripped it of any legitimacy. Like, it, like you know, um, yeah. I think the Shawshank Redemption is very. Uh, that's a great title. It's very poignant and it's very classy. And I think it does the film justice. And yeah, if it wasn't like, that's kind of hammy. Well, it's just too long, too. Well, yeah, <laughs> above and beyond that, for sure. It is yeah. definitely too long. But, yeah, that would have been a little hammy. I think you're like, tonally you're expecting something else, uh, you know, with the with the Rita Hayward uh, addition to that title. Yeah, it makes me want to go back. And it's it's a quick read. I think it's, like, maybe 30 or 40 pages. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a, it's a short story. It's it's one of his novellas. It's not... I say that not having not looked at it in a long time and maybe it's 100 pages but it's 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 one of his uh it's part of one of his collections so it can't be more than like 100 pages or so mm-hmm. it's pretty short mm-hmm. uh and from what i remember it's like it's a pretty faithful adaptation uh-huh. uh outside of just you know he he really had an open minded with casting like the role of red morgan freeman's character is you know not a black guy in the book and that's why they have their joke when he's like why did you why did they call you red he's like man eh, maybe because i'm irish but they made his last name Redding, so it's like it, it's somewhat justified. In the book, he's called Red because he is he's an Irishman with big, thick red hair. Oh, okay. Uh, so they kind of made a joke out of it, and then but then the nickname was based off his last name they gave him in the story. Uh, and, and at one point, I think um, Rob Reiner, when he was trying to get a hold of it, he wanted to do it with Redford, and um, I can't remember who the other person was. Uh, Brad Pitt was supposed to be in the movie. He was supposed to play Tommy, the young guy. Yeah, he gets yeah. gone down. But then there was something. I think he did Legends of the Fall instead, or something. That was the movie, Legends of the Fall. I remember that 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 same year. Or did it win Best Picture, Legends of the Fall? No, it didn't. Did it? No, ninety four would, would, would have been Forrest Gump. Okay, that's right. Okay, okay. Yeah, because it was up against Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that was the Gump Fiction year, and this was like the Dark Horse. Yeah. And then for Pulp Fiction one, I think best screenplay was it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Roger Avery went up and did the famous speech where he's like, "I gotta go take a piss" or something like that. I remember yeah. that. And I, I want to say, did this win anything? I want to say Morgan Freeman. 
walked away with this with something, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, he was great. Everyone was great. This was one of his huge... I think this is the role that really, really turned him into a superstar, Morgan Freeman, and kind of set him on his way. Um, Nominated for seven Oscars. Just nominated? Didn't win anything? Well, Freeman and uh, uh, Sam Jackson, both, like, you know, they're... No, he was just nominated... Every, yeah, just nominees. Nothing won. It's a shame. After that year, though, Freeman and Jackson kind of blew up. Like, you know, they were these guys that were, you know, they had decent careers, but they weren't, like, superstars. Who's the other person? Samuel Jackson. Yeah, because he, he had little bits and, you know, before he was actually in Goodfellas for a little bit. Like, he had a small part. Yeah, yeah. No, Pulp Fiction was definitely his breakthrough role as well. Yeah. Well, he had auditioned for Reservoir Dogs, I think. I read somewhere and didn't get... I can't remember which part it was. I think it was the parole officer, like the, the undercover cop that works with Tim Robbins. Oh, okay, that trains him, yeah. Yeah, I think Samuel Jackson was... Didn't he didn't get that? You know what it was? I think better. I think he wasn't available. So I think it was like he was supposed to do it and then couldn't. And so Tarantino remembered him and then put him in Pulp Fiction. I can't remember. Or maybe he auditioned and just wasn't quite right for that, but then Tarantino kept him in mind. But I know that... He had went out for Reservoir Dogs at some point. I remember reading that. Yeah. And then he, you know, but I think he did fine after that. Yeah, Samuel I think Jackson, so. Samuel I think Jackson so. eats. Uh, apparently, um, someone I know was shooting a movie with him, a uh, director, and uh, he hated the director. And I, I don't know. I, we probably know the same stories. Right, with him just like staring into the camera. So when the director was like, sitting in a video village just watching the monitor Samuel Jackson would just be staring at him just being like fuck you just like a big fuck you to the director I don't think I um yeah I'll just leave it at that yeah there's a couple of the stories I've heard about uh, about that my favorite story I've heard about Samuel Jackson I think it's okay to tell this story and it's probably on the same movie uh, but it's uh, it was with I won't, I won't name names um, but uh, someone from Telefilm Canada, one of the people that kind of grants money, yeah, and and decides on who gets money. They he decided to come visit the set of this movie. That and Samuel Jackson was one of the stars of this it's movie. The same movie. It's I think. the same movie. Yeah. yeah, you can Google this and do your own detective work. <laughs> I'm gonna let you uh, go to the internet and do some research on your own. Uh, so he comes to the set, and it's an overnight shoot. And so he stops by the set, and, you know, of course he wants to meet Sam Jackson, and so he does, and then, you know, they chat it up, and then he's like, well, I'm going to go now, it's, uh, I'm going to go home, it's, and he's like, where the fuck are you going? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I got to stay here all night, you better be fucking here all night, too. Okay. And of course he's like, Samuel Jackson, he's going to say no to Samuel Jackson? He's like, you know, he's a huge movie star at this point. He's doing this Canadian movie that's probably going to do well because he's in it. Well, absolutely. And, and so, of course, he's like... I guess I got to hunker down and, and spend the, on a night shoot and spend the night all night here, right? And then he said, like, eight hours later, he runs into the craft service table and Samuel Jackson says, what the fuck are you still doing here? He's like, you told me I had this. He's like, fuck, get out of here. I was like, that's amazing. And I kind of love that. I love that, that he fucked with him in that way. I thought that was hilarious. But And the best part is, and he knows this too, this... this uh, this uh, telefilm friend is like he's now got a Samuel Jackson story he has to tell for life. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So much fun. Um, 
Yeah, but Morgan Freeman's wrote Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. I love that his hair in this movie. I love that he's got this little flop to it. He always has that hair, though, doesn't he? Yeah, it's pretty common. I think uh, he was in Sure Thing. I think it's the first movie I remember him being in. Bull Durham is with one of the movies that I remember was like I think one of his breakthrough roles. So yeah. It's, so it's funny that Kevin Costner was up for this as well because they're both the Bull Durham connection there. What he was going to play Tim Robbins' part? Tim, he, I think he was originally up for it, but then Waterworld got went late or something, and he couldn't get free. Uh, there, oh, there's if you go on IMDb, there's the laundry list of all the different actors that were considered okay. for both for Red and for uh, this part. Which now I'm sure you look at like actors that didn't do it and they'll kick themselves in the ass. I bet. Like, can you just imagine? But that's the nature of all these movies, right? Yeah, it's that's like, the nature of the business. Nobody too. knows like, which of these things are gonna discipline directors. Well, just, yeah, Darvon hadn't really directed at that point, so it's like who knows what that guy's gonna do with the material? You know, if he's gonna fuck it up, if it's gonna be any good. Well, he definitely had Clint all the East- resources. Like it was executed to a T, you know, and from all aspects. So for Red, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Paul Newman, and Robert Redford were all considered for the part of Red. They all would have been great. Yeah, can't go wrong with any of them. Uh, especially the, I guess the one that would be least interesting for me in terms of the narrator would be Harrison Ford. Yeah. Although he could do it. Yeah. But he's also just Harrison Ford, and that's the problem. You just look at it, and it's just Harrison Ford. It's hard to separate him from the character unless he's doing Blade Runner you know or um, and that's a different Solo kind of thing. or Indiana Jones it's like those three big you know the, the film almost has to be so big that it's bigger than him yeah else, uh, uh, Jeff Bridges Tom Hanks Kevin Costner Tom Cruise Matthew Broderick Nicolas Cage Johnny Depp and Charlie Sheen were all considered for Andy oh yeah that's that's quite yeah there's a lot of hits and misses on that and and Tom sure. Hanks wanted to do it but Forrest Gump was uh, conflict, conflicted he would have been great I guess that's what Green Mile was just like alright yeah. same, same thing it's like well we didn't do that can we do Green Mile together and Green well, Mile's only okay I think Green Mile's fine yeah, yeah and you know what And I haven't seen Green Mile either oh okay and uh, I know that I, I can just tell you know just by the the trailers and just you know just the overall reception over the years you know no one really is like you haven't seen Green Mile <laughs> yeah like, no you, no one's ever grilled me on that but when you bring up Shawshank it's just like oh, oh yeah everybody even my sister and my brother before I left I was telling him I'm gonna have to do this podcast and I'm gonna watch you know Shawshank for the first time and then both of them was like you haven't seen it and uh, yeah. yeah and we don't shame people here though we're, we, <laughs> I get I get so excited because I almost like I try to collect people. That have these like, um, especially like a hole like this is such a a rich one that uh, it's hard to find someone who, uh, especially in our, uh, you know, the the kind of the era we're in uh, that hasn't seen it. So, yeah. Uh, so, what else do you do? You, uh, can you think of like the Canada pop culture that, that came from this, or, or any other things that like? How does this inspire you now? Um, I don't know if it necessarily inspires me. Um. If anything, if it's, it's more stuff you can kind of take into your personal life, you know what I mean? And and um, I think there's some great morals there. And, you know, watching someone on a journey like that and never losing hope and, you know, who is busy living. Uh, the, the one thing that really took me, uh, that really affected me was the... Uh, Brooks. Brooks? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I've seen that and, and I yeah. kind of see it. So, like, 
I, I could see that coming a mile away. Um, no, it was more about when I was talking to you about how if you're, you know, in our industry, if, you know, if you're, you're really good at what you do, people are going to do whatever it takes to keep you there. Because oh, they don't the want warden's you to moment, yeah. And so with the warden and, and Tim Robbins and, you know, him being free means he has no one to wash his money and do everyone's taxes and what have you. And also, if he's ever free, what's to stop him from telling everything? Yeah, that's the other thing, too. So it's like, yeah, you know, you got to watch you get in deep with and make sure there's an exit, I guess, if you're going to launder someone's money. Um, but what a perfect ending, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Andrew Dufresne, the only man who crawled through a river of shit and came out <laughs> clean the other side. Yeah. That was a beautiful ending. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think it's one of those movies you're, you're a better person after watching it. That's just it. And I remember when I was younger, the first time that ending hit, it just hit me so hard. And I was like, oh my God, it blew my mind. It yeah. was like, it was like one of like, you know, the seminal twist endings for me where it's not, I don't, I don't even know if you call it a twist. It's just the logical conclusion to the story, really. But for me, it was just like, oh, and then, and then I went and rewatched it right away. Cause I think I'd rented it on home video. So I watched it again right away just to, to catch all of the, the, the clues and stuff. And there's that great moment. And I, I swear to God, they did a flashback to it in the edit, but they don't. Is the moment when um, they toss his cell for the first time, when the warden's trying to size him up, uh-huh. and Andy's holding the Bible. Yeah. I, th- I, I didn't know. I, yeah, it was perfect. Because I, I was like, what's in that? Something's up with that Bible. I didn't know what. I thought actually the rocks were in there maybe or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I didn't think of the tool, and and, and the warden almost walks out with it, and he's like, "Here, here you go." He gives it back to him. No, it was masterful. It's it, it, it was very well directed, and um, nothing was too heavy handed, you know. Like with the book, you know, it was just this, you know, felt like just like a device for tension, and um, yeah, it worked. The only but- scene that I, I watched this time, going hmm, and this, and I love the scene, so I don't want to complain about it, and I love the moment is when he's just gotten all the books and he's gotten the money from the the thing and then he decides to in that same moment lock himself in the room yes. cuz I was I'm watching that going is that him trying to push and see how much he can get away with with the warden because any other person they would have taken those books and threw them in the garbage then because of what he just did, pulled yeah no that, that did, didn't feel motivated properly like, I love the moment that comes out of it, but it feels like, I don't know why he's... What's, what he he's just going rogue like that Unless all Unless he's yeah. just trying to see how much he can get away with. Yeah. It it it, it, it didn't feel prop... Like, it just didn't feel kind of... That was the one kind of rough edge. Yeah. That, you know, wasn't, uh, should have been smoothed down a little bit. Here's another casting fun fact I just remembered. Uh, John Favreau uh-huh. auditioned for the part of Fat Ass. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this this would have been pre swingers, right? This would have been way yeah. pre swinger. This would have been like Rudy era John Favreau. Yeah. Um, and he said it was the most embarrassing audition he'd ever done in his life, and it it uh, encouraged him to lose weight. Really? Yeah. Well, whatever it takes, I guess. You know. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> section too, because it's, it's really kind of like establishes the tone of this movie where. They're all laughing and cheering, and you get to see this prison gag where they're all betting on this guy, and then it has that dark turn where it's like, oh, fuck. And then he dies. 
and then Andy murdered like, in front of all of them, and it's their fault. Because yeah, he egged them on because they egged them on for their own amusement. Yeah, and then because he put my not on a broke, he might have just sat in his cell, and been upset all night, but he probably would have got through the night. And then Andy asks his name, and everyone's like, "Fuck you for asking his name!" Like he's so mad that he's trying to humanize him. Because it's like at that point, it's like, don't you give him a name? Because then I kill the person. It's also too. It's just like the whole detention like industry in the United. Like it's all. It's so fucking corrupt, and it's such a money. It's like uh, just, uh, yeah. It just it just makes me feel really just gross. That's why we follow the rules, Viv. I know. So we don't. No, but I just mean as well as just like, you know, I don't know, some people get in prison for the dumbest things and cost well, so much money to keep them in there, but I think somebody's profiting, obviously. Well, there's still people that are in jail for uh, marijuana yeah. stuff. And it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, we legalized that. Shouldn't they be out now? Shouldn't there be some kind of post-mortem on that? No? Nope. We're just going to leave them in there? No. Like I said, it's all corrupt. Like, someone's profiting from something. Like, you know, um, yeah. they don't keep anything like that around and that crowded if someone's... Not you know, making a penny. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, because if it was that, they would um, they would start changing some rules and letting people out. Well, it's the kind of, it's, it's, it's the, I think it's one of the fundamental questions of the, of the system is like, is it actually there to rehabilitize people? No. You know? No. How many how many criminals you know reoffend or actually get better at what they do because now they have a network of people to draw from and they've learned stuff from talking to other people in prison. I think it depends on where you go. You just have to look at. There know. are some like I remember I can't remember the country, but I remember reading um, some article. It's definitely one of the European countries, probably Sweden or something like that. Uh, they tend to be the most innovative when it comes to human life, <laughs> uh, but it's something about like how their system works and how it is really kind of driven towards rehabilitation, and, and and this is why because people are encouraged, they they you know they get reduced sentences for getting like their diplomas and for getting certain things like if they tick off and they do certain benchmarks while they're in prison, it gets them out faster by showing that they're trying and working at something. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I wouldn't really compare anything that, you know, the United States does to any other country. No. I think you, everything else is, sus- like, everything feels like it's suspect. And well, especially, <laughs> well, because, you know, you look at it like, uh, you know, the United States system is privatized. Yeah. So that when you privatize rehabilitation, it's like, wait a minute. Like, you're automatically showing, well, someone is making a profit for yeah, sure. the government's paying and, you know, like, for them, the companies and stuff to put people in jail and... You know, and I think, too, in some states and what have you, it's just a matter of, like, getting as many people. Like, like it's, oh, it's like, yeah, this is a whole other podcast, but, yeah. you know, it's racially motivated, you know, and it's it's just a goddamn awful thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So there's there's your PSA, people. Don't try <laughs> to stay out of jail. <laughs> try to stay out of jail. That'd be a good um, thing for you. Or go to life. jail... You know, where you can make the the most of your time. Yeah, not in the United it. States. No. Or, you know, probably not even Canada either. Yeah, um, most places pick, are probably pick one not of the great. Scandinavian countries. Yeah, Scandinavian countries is safer, probably. <laughs> but you know, do a quick internet search first. Yeah. Do some research. Yeah. So what what are your final thoughts on this? Um you know, I think um it was worth the wait. And um 
I'm glad I'm part of that club now that has seen Shawshank. But it's not something that everyone openly talks about all the time. You know, it's just one of these great movies, it feels like. It's that. just kind of there. It's just kind of there. And um, I think its reputation is definitely earned. And, um, yeah, I uh, I feel like I'm a better person after watching it. I yeah, like it I'm, is a feel-good movie. Yeah, and I feel like I've learned some things. And, um, yeah, and it's like one of those, like when a movie's really good or a show's really good, I don't think about the process. No. I just, I'm into the story, into the characters. Yeah, into what and I it's do. a story about, it's like sometimes in life you're going to be handed a shitty situation, but you can make the best out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, it, it, it was beautifully crafted. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the only bump was the time when he locked himself in the, in the office. But you get that beautiful moment of, like, everyone listening to that song, but it does, it is, it, 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 I, I think every other time I just kind of let it go, but this time I sat there going... Hmm. What's the motivation for that, and how does that? What does that do for the story? It doesn't do it's just anything. A moment. I, I think, think this is the moment. It's a cinematic moment. Frankly, I wanted to do. Yeah. No, that makes sense totally. And as a baby, he should have killed. And I think there was a, a better way to get him to um, to go against the warden that served the story and served you know the arcs a little better, um, as opposed to shoehorning that cinematic moment in there. But. Um, but what have you? It's like yeah, it didn't it certainly didn't ruin the movie. You know, it was a very nice moment. Um, but it doesn't add anything. Didn't even play into the ending, which is too bad. No, like if it was a little tip off to something. Well, there you go. One one minor flaw in an otherwise fairly <laughs> fairly perfect film. If you even want to call it a flaw, but yes, definitely. It's yeah, a, we'll give him that uh, that luxury. You get yeah, one, Frank. You get one, absolutely. And you use it on on the Italian opera song. <laughs> Well, thanks for giving me a chance to revisit it. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for uh, showing it to me for the first time. That's great. We'll always have this. We will always have this. (laughs) All right, thanks for coming over. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Shawshank Redemption. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a 